Thanks for joining us for this message from Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Shades Valley and its ministries, you can visit us at shadesvalley.org. Scripture for this morning's sermon is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I will be reading verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I myself am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 as we dive back into our series through this letter. We took a break for Advent, but here we go again. And chapter 4 is the perfect re-entry point because it's, it's the capstone of the argument that Paul has been making thus far in the letter. Paul, if you remember, he wrote this letter to call the Corinthians to be saints. Uh, saints, that just means God set apart people. And that's precisely what the Corinthians have not been as of, as of late. Uh, in, instead of being set apart from their culture, they've, they've blended their culture with their Christianity. Their, their culture was one of self-sufficiency and self-indulgence and self-promotion, and they, they just brought that right into the church. And so Paul, he's writing this letter to remind them, hey, you're Christians before you're Corinthians. He's writing to call them to be set apart as saints. And the way, the, the way that he extends this call in chapter 4, it reminds me of the tortoise and the hare. Uh, it's probably one of the most well-known of Aesop's fables. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, you've got this fast-footed hare that makes fun of this slow-moving tortoise. And finally, the tortoise is so fed up, he challenges the hare to a race. And the hare, he's, he's so confident that he's going to win because he, he starts out and he gets this really far, uh, he gets really far ahead and he's so confident he's going to win that he actually takes a break for a nap, only to eventually awaken to see that the turtle, though slow, has kept this consistent pace and he has passed the hare and won. And we all know the moral of the story, slow and steady wins the race. The point of telling this story to children is to teach them who to imitate. Like we want them to take their cue from the tortoise, not from the hare. We, we want to ingrain into their brains that it would be foolish imitation to follow in the footsteps of the hare. We, we want them to see like, no matter how much of a fool the tortoise looks like at the beginning of the story, he's actually the one you should want to imitate. That, that is a really good summary of the way Paul extends the call to be saints in 1 Corinthians 4. He, he lays out Corinthian culture, and, and honestly all worldly cultures, he lays them out as being very much like the hare in Aesop's story. Like on the surface, uh, the way that 
worldly culture's approach life, it, it looks like a wise bet for winning the race of life, if you will. But Paul wants us to see that to take our cues from worldly culture, that would be foolish imitation. Rather, it's the tortoise-like Christians of our world, uh, or the tortoise-like Christians that the world ridicules as being fools, people like Paul. Like Our call is to actually take our cue from them. Our call is away from foolish imitation and towards imitating fools. Will we answer that call? The call to be saints. That's the question that Paul asks us in 1 Corinthians 4, and he does it in three steps by showing the Corinthians what should be the case, what is the case, and asking what will be the case. So let's take those things one at a time. Number one, what should be the case? Like among the Corinthians and among us, what, what should answering the call to be saints look like? What should be the case? Paul starts laying it out in verse 1. Read it with me. <clears throat> this is how one should regard us. Paul and Apollos, that's, that's the us right there. And he's saying this is what should be the case when you think about us. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What is Paul talking about? Like, if you haven't been with us, or even if you have, you know, it's been a little while since we've been into this letter, uh, you, you've got to recall that in Corinthian culture, people found their identity, purpose, meaning, uh, by achieving social glory, social status. Remember, this was a culture of self-promotion. And, and one of the main ways that they achieved this social glory and status was by attaching themselves to popular teachers known as sophists. And the more, the more famous your teacher, the higher up the social ladder you climbed. And at the very beginning of this letter, we saw that this is one of the primary ways the Corinthian church had blended the surrounding culture with their Christianity. They, they imported this practice uh, by claiming to belong to different church leaders and teachers in an, eleva in, a, in an attempt to elevate their spiritual status. So it, it was like they were... They were basically saying, I'm more spiritual because I follow Paul. Uh, Paul who founded our church. And others were like, well, no, I'm more spiritual because I follow Apollos. Apollos was uh, a very gifted teacher, and he had spent some time in Corinth. So it's like, it's like saying, well, I follow the most gifted teacher our church has ever had. So that makes me more spiritual. And the Corinthians, basically, they were judging which leaders were the most effective, and then judging one another based on what leader they chose to follow. They were embracing arrogant individualism, like their culture. Like This is all about me and what I can do to promote myself, arrogant individualism. They were embracing that instead of being a united people set apart for God. Saints, a united people set apart for God. And for, for Paul, Paul, Paul has labored for the last three chapters to show them this should not be the case. What should be the case? How, how should the Corinthians think about their leaders and their teachers? 
This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We, Paul says we, we're like servants who steward the resources that their master has entrusted to them. We've been entrusted with the mysteries of God. That's one of Paul's favorite ways to talk about the gospel. We've been entrusted with the gospel. So basically, Paul's saying, Corinth, you you gotta understand. Like our goal, me, Apollos, all, all of us, like our goal is not to be the most powerful and effective teacher in your eyes. Our goal is to be faithful to Christ, our master, our king, and to be faithful to present the gospel that he's entrusted to us. That, that's precisely what Paul says in verse 2. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. That, this verse, it, it, it makes me think of uh, a pharmacist. Uh, I've been visiting the pharmacy a lot lately. My house, we've been passing around sickness for forever. Y'all can pray for Holly. She actually went down on Saturday. And um, yeah, But I, I, I tell you all of that to say I've been getting a lot of prescriptions filled. And a pharmacist, their job is not to decide what medicine I need. Like, No, they receive a script, and their job is to fill that script. Like, like it would make no sense for me to <coughs> get all judgmental on a, on a pharmacist for the medicine that they gave me. You know, it, like they are just faithfully doing what they've been instructed to do. And so this is very similar to what Paul is saying, right? He, he, he's saying, Corinth, you can sit in judgment over me and every other minister all you want. You can try to use your culture's standards to, to judge my ministry, but honestly, that means nothing to me. I'm a servant of God, a steward of his gospel. I want him to find me faithful. Just like a pharmacist is ultimately answer, answers to the doctor who's like, I, I've got to be faithful to give what the doctor has prescribed. I, I want to be faithful, a faithful steward of the gospel of Christ. Is that not what Paul says in verses 3 through 5? But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you, Corinth, or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself. But but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. In, in, in other words, Paul says, this is what should be the case amongst the Corinthians and amongst all Christians. We are all God's servants, stewards, who are to be found faithful by his standard. Like, Corinth, your standard doesn't matter. Your culture standard doesn't matter. I don't ultimately serve you. I'm a servant of God, and I've got to be found faithful by... Now, all of us have to be found faithful by his standard. Now, really quickly, as an aside, Paul is not saying that we can never make judgment calls uh, about our teachers, our leaders, ministers, or that we can never hold one another accountable. He's about to do that for the rest of the letter. He's going to make a lot of judgment calls. He's going to do a lot of holding the Corinthians accountable. What he's saying right here, you've got to understand it in this very specific context. He's saying we cannot use worldly standards to measure the effectiveness of our faithfulness. 
I'm going to say that again. We cannot use worldly standards to measure the effectiveness of our faithfulness. Man, that's freeing. Like, worldly standards of effectiveness tend to always rely on results. How many times have you looked at your life measuring it by results, looked at your relationship with Christ, measuring it by results, quote unquote, and felt like a failure? How many times have I, Shades, as a pastor, I look at my own ministry and I, I try to measure it using worldly standards of success and I end up feeling like, does anything I do even make a difference? This is so freeing that I cannot use worldly standards to measure the effectiveness of our faithfulness. God alone sees whether or not what we are doing in our faithfulness to him is truly and eternally effective. If we can't use worldly standards, like see the implication of this, if we can't use worldly standards to measure the effectiveness of our faithfulness, then we cannot use effectiveness to elevate our status. Like I can't, I can't claim that because I look more successful by our worldly standard, therefore I'm a more spiritual person because worldly standards don't matter. Effectiveness can't be used to elevate our status. If it can, then there are all sorts of unfaithful churches that could brag about being the most effective. No, 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 no. The proper perspective that what Paul is giving us here is that we are all servants, and we all have the same aim of being faithful stewards of our king who alone gets the glory. We're not measuring our effectiveness, but faithfulness to the king. That, that's the application at which Paul, uh, that Paul sums up in verse 6. Look at it. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. I, I have applied what should be the case to Apollos and me. What should be the case? We're all servants aiming at faithfulness. I've applied that. I've shown you, Apollos and me, we are servants, stewards of God's gospel, so that you may learn from us not to go beyond what is written. What does that mean? Go, go back up just a few verses into chapter 3. Look at verse 19. Paul writes, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, it's written, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and that they are futile, so let no one boast in men. When Paul talks about what is written, he's talking about the scriptures that he has already been quoting to the Corinthians, which as we just read, have to do with the foolishness of arrogance and, and pride. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I've shown you what should be the case through Apollos and me, that we're servants of God. Everything we have has been received from him. We're stewards of his gospel. So don't go beyond what is written and boast in us. Don't, I've shown you those scriptures that talk about the foolishness of arrogance and boasting. Don't, 
Don't boast in us and don't boast in yourselves, Corinth. Don't you see? You're the same as Apollos and me. You're, you're, you're servants of God aimed at faithfulness. That's what he says in verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? Just like Apollos and I are servants, stewards, so are you. Who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Just like Apollos and I. We're stewards. Everything we have, the gospel, the mysteries of God, we received it all. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Shades, this, verse 7, this is a summary of what should be the case. Not just with the Corinthians, but with Shades Valley. What do we have that we did not receive? And if we have received everything, why would we boast in anything? I can tell you why I find myself boasting. Because we definitely boast, right? I'm guilty of boasting. It's, I believe it's because that is the air that our culture breathes. One of self-promotion and boasting. Like we're a society of self-made individuals who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, right? I mean, if you ask us, what do we have that we did not receive? We're going to say everything. I worked for everything that I have, and I deserve the glory. I've climbed the ladder. I've earned my social circle and the elites that I rub shoulders with, and I should be recognized for my standing. And shades, we, we import that culture into the church, seeing spirituality is a ladder to climb. And, and as I advance, I, I believe I'm worthy of recognition and respect. It shows up in, in phrases like, I've earned my place in this church. People should recognize my standing and, and superior spirituality. But shades, the case should be that we all recognize everything we have is received. The church is not a society of individuals earning. We're a society of saints saved by grace. Everything's a gift. We've got nothing to boast in except the giver, God. That is what should be the case. Unfortunately, that's not the current reality in Corinth, which leads us to the second step that Paul takes. He's shown us what should be the case. Now he helps us see what is the case. Like, what's the current reality in Corinth? Paul unpacks it in verses 8 to 13. <coughs> Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share in the rule with you. Can you hear Paul's sarcasm right here? Like, this is one of the most sarcastic passages in the Bible. And Paul is using that sarcasm to make the point that the Corinthians are living as if they have reached the peak of spirituality. Like they've climbed the ladder to the top and they are spiritual kings, right? That's what he calls them. A, a, a king was the highest position that the Corinthians knew in secular culture. Do you see how Paul is using sarcasm to, to show that they've blended secular culture with their Christianity, acting as if they've achieved the highest secular status of kingship, but they've achieved it spiritually? Paul is going to show them how out of step they are with their calling. 
They're calling to be saints. They're acting like spiritual kings. He's going to show them how out of step those things are by contrasting their supposed elevated status with, with his own and Apollos' lowly status. Verse 9, Paul says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as the last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. In other words, Corinth, if y'all are kings, then us apostles, we're, we're like the people that kings conquer and make a spectacle by marching them in a victory parade that concludes with their execution. Corinth would have been very familiar with that Roman custom. Like a, a conquering king would often march, literally, as a spectacle uh, in a victory parade. He would, he would march forth some of the people that he'd conquered, and at the end of the parade, they, they would be executed. And Paul says, that's what Apollos and I are like. Corinth, if y'all are kings, we're the other end of the social ladder. Shades, Paul is showing Corinth what is the case. Namely, that they are using their Christianity to imitate their culture. Their culture was all about social glory. So they're using Christianity to accomplish the same thing, self-promotion. But Paul says he has been conquered by Christ. And even if that costs him his life, he's willing to be marched before the world looking like a fool. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you, Corinth, you're strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're, we're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. According to your culture, Corinth, we're scum, refuse. Both of those words have to do with gunk that comes off when you, when you scour or you scrape something clean. Like for the Corinthians, it probably would have made them think about what they scrape off their sandals. Like Paul says, that's how your culture views us. Like, like crap you'd clean off your shoes. Sorry, Mom. My, my mom listens to the, the podcast. She would not be okay that I used that word. Dung, dung, like the dung. This is how your culture views us, like, like dung that the world would be cleaner without. Man, that doesn't sound at all like how Western culture currently thinks about Christianity, does it? That the world would be better off without it. The reason Corinthian culture thinks this way about Paul and Apollos is because they cling to Christ. So the culture sees them as foolish and weak, holds them in disrepute. They, these apostles, they have no, nothing their culture values. They don't have riches or social standing. Look, they're often hungry. They're poorly clothed. They're homeless. Look, they labor with their hands. The elites in Corinthian culture look down on blue-collar manual labor. And, and in contrast to all of this, the Corinthians saw themselves as being wise and strong and honorable. 
How can that be? It's because they are imitating their culture foolishly. That, that's what Paul wants them and us to see, that they are embracing foolish imitation. And when set side by side with true servants of Christ, they don't look anything alike. The Corinthians, they're embracing what their culture calls wise. But shades, just like that speedy hair in Aesop's fable, those fast feet, they only seem wise at first. And the culture's supposed wisdom, it's actually lulling the Corinthians to sleep, making it seem like Paul's tortoise-like life isn't wise. He's a fool for following Christ. That's what, that's what the culture would say. And so Paul right here, he's extending the call to Corinth and to us. He's extending it in the form of a question. Will we embrace foolish imitation of our culture? Or will we imitate fools like him who follow Christ? Which will it be, Corinth? Which will it be, Shades? Foolish imitation or imitating fools? Paul poses that question through the third step that he takes. He's shown us what should be the case, what is the case, and now he asks, what will be the case? What will be the case, Corinth? What will be the case, Shades? Foolish imitation of our culture? Or are we willing to imitate fools like Paul? Take our cue from him and follow Christ no matter the cost. Verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you is my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Take your cue from me, Corinth, not from the culture. Cling to Christ, no matter if it costs you the kingship your culture promises. Because to, to quote Pastor Andrew Wilson, at the heart of the gospel is the shamed, brutalized, and humiliated son of man who had nowhere to lay his head. And Christians take their cue from him rather than from those whom the world elevates and admires. Do you hear what he's saying right there? Basically, that Christians should look more like Christ than the culture. To, to, to put it in modern terms, biblical scholar uh, Preben Vang, he says this, the church that learns more from Madison Avenue than from the Via Della Rosa has lost its footing and will ultimately lose its crown. In other words, the church that's taking its cues from Madison Avenue, from, from the culture and what it values, rather than from the Via Della Rosa, from the path, the road that Christ walked to the cross. That, that church has lost its footing. This, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, Corinth, shades, take your cue from me, not from the 
culture. He's not saying that because he thinks that he's perfect. Hey, imitate me because I'm perfect and I follow Christ perfectly. No, that, that's not what Paul is saying at all. He's saying imitate me insofar as I imitate Christ. I know that's what he's saying because he's going to say that explicitly in chapter 11 in verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, take your cue from me as I point you to Jesus. That's my main goal. That's what I'm trying to be faithful in. That's not what your culture is trying to be faithful in. Paul is not, he's not right here. He's not acting like a, like a proud sophist shaming his students into copying his supposed perfection. No, he's more like a loving father humbly trying to point his children in the right direction. It, isn't that what Paul said in verse 14? I'm not writing this to shame you. I'm writing to admonish you as my beloved children. He, he loves the Corinthians too much to, to let them foolishly imitate their culture. He loves them like a father because, in a way, he is their father in Christ. He was the one who shared the gospel with them in the first place. He's the one who saw them be born again. That's what he says. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you. Like, do you... Do you hear his father's heart lovingly pleading? I, I was there when you were born into this faith family. I've loved you since the, the beginning. So trust me, this is how I plead with my own children. I have loved you from before you even knew me. I'm, I'm in this for your good. Trust me. That's what Paul is saying. Trust me. Follow where I'm pointing. I don't care that the culture calls me a fool. I urge you, imitate this old fool. Paul sounds a lot like my own father. When I was a young man in ministry, my father was pastor of the church that I served. And I think there were many times in my youthful arrogance, I thought I knew a lot better than my own father. There were a lot of other younger, popular celebrity ministers out there that I would take my cues from, many of whom were massively misguided, and my father in his wisdom knew it. And he could share things with me of, Jonathan, I love you, and I want what's good for you, and I'm, I'm pleading with you, take your cue from me. Imitate this. You can think I'm a fool, Jonathan. Imitate this old fool. That's what Paul's saying. He, he loves the Corinthians. And he loves them so much, he doesn't just urge them to imitate him. No, he does something to help them do it. Verse 17. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Like, I want you to imitate me. So I'm going to send you Timothy. To, he's going to remind you of how to do that. Remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Apparently, there are some in Corinth who are opposing Paul, saying, he's all talk. He may say he cares about us, but he doesn't really. I mean, he... He, he, if he cared about us, he, he would come and visit us personally, but he, 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 he's not even doing that. And it's true, Paul cannot personally come at the moment, so he sends Timothy as his emissary, like a pledge until he himself can come. And then he says, 
once I finally can get there, these people who are saying I'm all talk, we'll see who, who is all talk. Look at verse 19. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. In, in other words, these people who are against me, who are all about sophistry with its pretty rhetoric and fancy talk, wait, wait until I come and you will see that talk is all it is. There's no power in what they say. You'll see that because when I come to you, I don't come with their kind of powerful talk that promotes myself. I will come with the gospel that may sound like foolish talk, but it is the very power of God that transformed your lives in the first place. And when I come, you will see again that the kingdom of God doesn't consist in the kind of talk that your culture thinks is powerful. No, the kingdom of God consists in the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through the foolish word of the gospel. Corinth, which will it be? Will you, along with these arrogant people, embrace foolish imitation of your culture? Are you willing to imitate this old fool? That's how Paul concludes. Verse 21. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? In other words, I've shown you what the case should be versus what the case actually is, so now I'm asking what's it going to be? I'm going to love you either way. Like if you embrace foolish imitation of your culture, then I'm coming with a, like, like, like a loving father with a rod of correction. That's not what I want. I want to come to you in a loving spirit of gentleness, encouraging you as you take your cue from this old fool and cling to Christ. Corinth, what will be the case? Shades, what will be the case? This election year, will we foolishly imitate our culture? Or will we imitate Christ even if it makes us look like fools? In our workplaces, with our education, our finances, what will be the case? Foolish imitation of everything our culture values? Or being willing to look like fools as we use our vocation, education, and finances for the kingdom? In our friendships, families, and personal lives. Will we foolishly imitate the world that says in all relationships we must win at all costs and, and all relationships should, should benefit us and if any don't, we should, we should drop any of them that aren't enhancing our lives? Will we do that or will we imitate the foolish way of Christ and be empowered to lay down our lives to love others? Will, will we live in a way that allows us to glory in ourselves or in a way that forces us to say, everything I have is received. Even the power to love, all of it is of grace, and I can only give glory to the giver, God. Shades, what will be the case? Tortoise or hare? Foolish imitation of our culture? Or imitating fools who follow Christ? Let's pray. Father, I ask that we would be a people who would be willing to be counted as fools by this world to follow you. We would take our cues from those around us who faithfully call us to do that, model that, 
I pray that you would open our eyes to all of the foolish ways we imitate the world. That we would be a people set apart as your saints who you've called us to be. I pray these things in the name of your son Jesus and by your spirit. in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. Amen.